Welcome to Unfederated, a podcast for freelancers hosted by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but have found a way to make a living doing what they love. All right, I got a question for you. Oh, yeah, tell me. So I had a weird thing happen. It's not that weird, but it's it's one of those things that like really kind of bothers me. So Oh, there's such a short list of this. <laughs> we've talked a little bit in the past about doing a Q&A episode. So, you know, let's do a Q&A episode and I'll be the first question. I like it. So I had a client, um, prospective client, sent an agreement to things are going well. All indications are we are going to work together. Um, they sent back some notes on my agreement and one of the notes was, Oh, would you mind to print and mail us our invoice every month? Oh no. So we've talked before about how streamlined my operations are and how, um, peculiar. Do you even own a printer? No, I don't. I don't. Okay, I don't. My wife yeah. goes. My wife goes to her office to print stuff occasionally because she lives in the paper world. But like, I, sure. my my accounts receivable invoicing thing knows no paper. Like, yeah. Like, I would have to go buy envelopes and stamps. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I am horribly ill-equipped to accommodate this. Yeah, you could argue reasonable request. You know, it, what and, one could argue that that is reasonable. Sure. I, in my world is completely unreasonable, yeah. but I'm recognizing that I'm in the, in the minority there. Mm-hmm. So the question really is not like, should I print invoices and, and use that to build this individual, like, you know, customer service, rah, rah, rah. The, the, the question more so is like, I have, I've probably, you know, maybe to a fault streamline my business in such a way that I do the back office part as efficiently as I, as I know how to, you know? Yeah. And, and as a result of that, I, I spend less of my time doing that and I can spend more of my time doing billable work, which allows me to not have to charge as much to make the amount of money I want to make. Yeah. And so that savings ultimately flows downhill to my clients, but, um, it's, it's because everything behind the curtain is buttoned up, Yeah, you know, and I, having worked in professional services firms, like for the last, you know, whatever, 15 years, um, I've seen all this temptation that exists to try to accommodate these sorts of situations. Yeah. And like, it, it starts as like an innocent, like print the invoices kind of thing. And then like mm-hmm. over the course of time, you are billing 18 different ways and like each one is client specific and it's a, a God awful nightmare to try to keep up with. Yes. You know? And, and so for me, it's more of a, a principle kind of thing. Like, am like, am I willing to bend a little or do I need to like, st- like stick to my guns and say like, this is how I do things. Like if, if that doesn't work for you, you might not, be a good, you know, a, be a good fit for me. Like, yeah. not like I'm going to lose the client over this. I don't think that's going to happen, but, um, it's kind of the notion of like people like me do things like this. And if, if you're in it, you appreciate it. And if you're not, you don't. And I'm, I, you know, I understand both sides of that. Yeah. Um, so I- anyways, uh, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I am so on board cause I hate printing. And, um, and I just ordered new toner cartridges for the first time since I went out on my own. And as a lawyer, I think that's like 
very impressive for sure because that indicates a very efficient toner cartridge <laughs> or <laughs> that i don't uh print very much which both are true apparently um it's a brother uh, mm. printer <laughs> so if you're looking for an efficient printer go there um so i would i see this from both sides because i my bookkeeping is requirement is such that I request really antiquated uh, payment method of check from clients sometimes. Um, and I just feel horrible about it because I think to myself the same thing. Like I remember having to go and buy a roll of stamps and envelopes for the first person who asked me that and how frustrating it was. I think you should at, like have a charge associated with it at bare minimum. Um, because it's so much more stuff for you to do like and you could just explain yeah i mean practically speaking it's a lot more work like i mean it's just like a whole yeah like workflow that i'm just is foreign to me now that i'm doing for one of the you know 12 clients i work with yes and the other piece of it is that you know we've talked about accounts receivable before like i'm delaying that process you know if invoices go out by mail on a certain day like, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm extending the, the payment window by probably a week to two weeks, That's you true. know, which, you know, isn't the end of the world. And, but, but it's just in my world where everything else is net 15 or less, yeah. it's significant. Huh. Okay. So, cause I, I hadn't thought about that part of it and I thought, um, like I'm not the treasurer for that nonprofit and, um, we looped in that bookkeeper. And um, for that role, uh, I was for several years having to print like between 100 and 200 invoices and mail them to that many different people um, at that many different law firms. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> like, um, and so we got her on board and it's been really helpful. So I'm sure you could find somebody who you could just like shoot an invoice to and they'd actually print it and put it in the mail and like put an envelope on it and put a return address and all of that stuff. Um, but then you would still have the delay. I think you could, you could find somebody who would do that in case you ever thought you would encounter this again. Find somebody that you that would do that, and then you could like charge the client for that service that you're paying the other person for. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, like if you're not going to encounter it again, then actually setting up that workflow doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm I'm looking like I think there are actually services that will actually mail invoices for you, like old school mail them. I, yeah, when you describe that, it made me think about. You're it. like, yeah, wait, that should be a thing. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it. But like, you know, how do I say this? Um, yeah, I could I could accommodate that. Even if I'm using one of those third party services, it's still one or two additional steps. Yeah. That like I otherwise don't have to make. And then I you know, so it would be a matter of my 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 thought was to respond and and this will all be dealt with before this episode airs. So hopefully. Um is is to even respond back. And this is kind of a little bit of like, uh, like I have often thought about the notion of instead of sending invoices at all, getting a credit card that I keep on file and, and charging my clients when the invoice would be due and, and like eliminate all AR. Yeah. You know? And so like, I thought about even responding and be like, Oh, well, you know, if this is going to be a problem, 
why don't I just go ahead and take a step in the direction I would prefer to be moving in and say, I'll just get a card. I'll charge it when it's due. You don't even have to worry about receiving invoices from me yeah, because I'm just going to eliminate the whole process. And, and it's also, you know, if we're thinking about it with like a negotiation hat on, I'm kind of, I'm kind of anchoring on the other end of the spectrum, yeah. you know, like, Oh, I'm moving this way. I'm certainly not moving that way. And if anything, we could meet in the middle, which is where we are today, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's tough. I don't, you know, um, at the end of the day, like this is one of those things is like, I'm afraid it'll come across as like really rigid and <laughs> like, I'm kind of like an, like a real, uh, nut job to work with. But at the same time, like, um, yeah, that's a huge, like if you have 12, uh, if you're dealing with a pool of 12 clients and you had 12 different ways of invoicing, like you wouldn't have time to do any work for those 12 clients. Like it would get eaten up that fast. Yeah. Um, so I think it makes total sense. And the accommodating that is why big firms and agencies exist. So, you know, they, and why they're, they're so uh, bloated with overhead. Um, yeah. And, so. and I've seen this more in like, in the, my experience working in other industries, like not marketing. Um, most yeah. of my marketing clients have been more tech savvy and forward thinking and all that kind of stuff. But like for my, my experience in the accounting industry, like, and, and I was, you know, I, I spent a season of life where I was the one that sent it, sent out invoices, you know, yeah. that like y- you let, they're just like, it's like death by a thousand cuts as you yeah. kind of like, Oh, here's a client we're really excited to have do whatever they want. Yeah. And like <laughs> you do that for enough years and you've like established norms that are just all over the spectrum and and eventually that system starts breaking down and the people that have expected to get the weird thing done the weird way they want it for however many years start to get upset because that stops happening as as well for them you know and so it's like at the end of the day it's not even sustainable long term not that i'm expecting to to get at such great volume that this is gonna be a problem but um (laughs) No, I yeah, I see what you mean. I think, I mean, obviously, you have to be cognizant of that. I, I had the same issue with, um, you know, people wanting flat fees, and I still do this on occasion, but it's a really, uh, there's a lot of administrative overhead to a flat fee and tracking hours and ethics requirements and, like, tracking which part was a flat fee, and now we're talking about something else, so you have to revisit your fee discussion. And... There's and different engagement letters and things like that, that it's wound up, even though I had these really noble intentions starting out of having all these amazing flat fees, it's much simpler to just continue using the same increment for, for all your clients, which is hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting parallel. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, right? Like it, it somewhat depends on the size of the client, the size of the opportunity yeah. as to how much you're willing to bend and adjust for them. But even then, from my experience, it still tends to be a little bit of a, you know, you're you're chasing a unicorn kind of kind of situation where, yeah. um, like it needs to be a good fit on both sides. Yeah, like how much are we willing to change what we do, and like how much to accommodate this one new client, yeah. and how much of that is going to impact all the other clients we currently have that are all expecting things to continue as, as yeah. they have been. So. What do you think the motivation is? Because that could be probably the credit card thing would be good if their motivation was just 
Um, I would like to know why they want that. And that would help me decide. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. Um, my guess is that like who I'm talking to now is not the person that deals with this invoice that's going to arrive, you know, mm. and, and they probably like, it's, it's an industry that probably has vendors across a broad spectrum as far as sophistication. And my guess is that they've got a lot of vendors that are sending invoices by mail and they can't get away from that system. And so to simplify their own processes, they're essentially doing what I'm doing, which is saying, if you're going to invoice this, you have to mail it in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and then it enters our workflow and everything happens to it magically from there. Yeah. And I, what I'm trying to do is, is somewhat circumvent their workflow. Right. And you're by doing so, yeah. circumventing my own workflow. Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah, viewing it from that lens, it is likely you're going to have a huge delay in payment as yeah. well. Um, interesting. That's an interesting issue to have come up. Yeah. Uh, from a principal perspective, like I feel like I deal with questions like this all the time. Yeah. This particular question is just this particular question, but the notion of as a freelancer, like, how much am I willing to bend or flex? Like to some degree, I have flexibility to do a lot of things. I have more flexibility than I would have in a traditional job. But um, at the same time, that doesn't mean I want to exercise that in all situations, you know? Totally. That's, um. I've recently had the opportunity to expand my practice area a little bit um, into a new space that required probably, I would say like, well, it probably, I don't know how much it required, but I, I studied on my own for like 40 hours or so to get spun up on it um, yeah. because I had the, you know, I just made it priority and I felt like I had the capacity to take that on. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, to your point, right. If I hadn't had the capacity, I wouldn't have taken on this kind of newer, uh, it's like um, more uh, different type of entities and um, private equity type of transaction. And I normally would be like, Oh, I haven't done a million of those. So, you know, I'm very busy, like maybe one day, but this time I said, Oh, actually, I, you know, I'm going to have time to teach myself that and call everybody I know who does it and listen to all the podcasts. And, um, so point being you flex more when you have more, um, capacity or when it's the right time to. Yeah. And that, that's a totally valid point. And um, as I've shared in other episodes, it's not a season where I'd feel particularly like it's needed for me to for me to bend and be super, uh, um, yeah, super flexible. That makes sense. Then, yeah, I, I would just keep emailing those invoices. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as I alluded to the first of the show, we've talked about doing a Q and A episode for a while. That's the first question of of this said Q and A episode. Mm -hmm. um, we have a couple others that we've gotten over the weeks that we've been doing the show, and as we dive into those, I will say um, two pieces of housekeeping advice um, before we get into the, the other questions. Yeah, one is in a previous episode we were talking about money, and I talked about how FreshBooks integrated with Zero, and what I was meaning to say was Harvest integrated with Zero. So if you've listened to the money episode and you're like, "What? Rob's crazy?" That's the yes, I, I misspoke on that one, and um, it makes a lot more sense for Harvest to integrate with Zero. So forgive me for that um, misstep. I uh, included it in the show notes of that episode, but I know not everyone checks those out. I just want to be real clear that that was unforgivable. It, yeah, it was, it was, it's deep. I, I hope I didn't throw anybody off <laughs> hours into some terrible rabbit trail. Um, I doubt that happened. 
Um, and the other thing is I think we're going to do more of these Q and a episodes. We've gotten some, a handful of really good questions. We've responded to some, we've gotten some just encouraging feedback, which has been great. Um, but so if you have thoughts about any prior episode or any topic that we haven't talked about and want to send those in, uh, unfederated.studio is where you can do that. Hit the contact button and Sarah and I will both see those and we'll gather them and collate them and print them and email them or mail them to each other and <laughs> do an episode. Um, Sarah, do you want to hit us up with our, our, our next question? Yes, I will, Rob. Thanks. Um, so this is a question from a listener uh, who, <laughs> who asked. You said that like you're making that up. Like, like I know. It this is like the time I wasn't making it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It's a real I – I just thought to myself I should not say this person's name yeah. because they're probably thinking about going out on their own. And um, so that will just be the assumption when you send us things. We're, gonna, we're not going to identify you, obviously. Um, so, uh, this listener, you know, said, Hey, good, good for you guys that you both went on your own, but you know, do you have anything to say for people who have a spouse at home who doesn't work outside the home, um, and how that changes the equation when you're considering leaving a traditional employer and, you know, magnifying risk and everything like that. Yeah. So that's just something we've just completely taken for granted because we both have yeah. spouses that work. And so uh complete fair point and a great example of questions where there's blind spots that we just haven't considered. Totally. I mean, we've, we've talked at length about the fact that, you know, we're aware that there are some things we haven't gotten to address yet in the benefits uh arena, especially. And um, that's because we're like looking for more uh, ways and options to talk about that type of stuff, because mm -hmm. both, you know, I, my husband, I have my health insurance through him and um, Rob has a different arrangement that neither of those are things that just people can do because they want to do them. They're just circumstantial. So um, we're talking, uh, we're, we're aware of some blind spots. Um, and I had thought to myself, well, we've got a good uh, spectrum because, you know, my my husband has a traditional job and, you know, Rob, you have such a different arrangement because your wife is also self-employed. Yep. But um, that presupposes that, you know, everyone is, is working and bringing on income, which obviously uh, we overlooked. So, Rob, I mean, you you're closer to it in your arrangement. Um, do you have any experiences that might at least help shed light on the way that that changes the equation? Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things come to mind to me immediately. And one is we have, um, with my wife being self-employed and us having kids, we've, we've, we've gone through seasons of having a child that has left us with seasons of what is essentially like not having that other income, you know? Um, and it, and it is just a season. We know that we know it's going to bounce back, but there's a, there's a reality to, you know, situations of being self-employed that if you are in a position where you're unable to work for some period of time, like you, you your, your checking account, uh, fills that very dramatically, you know? So um, when, how, I mean, just to, so when your wife had your daughter who, um, uh -huh. how, um, how long would you say, uh, she was not bringing in any income. Um, we planned for her to take a few months off to be a mom, full-time mom, whatever. Do, do the whole, yeah. yeah. The, the full baby experience. And it was a little bit more than what 
she would have had in a traditional job. You know, we, we kind of saved up for that and planned for her to be able to have a little bit more room and for us to do that more comfortably. Um, we were thankful for that, but the nature of her business is that, um, she's often reaping the rewards of work that happened months prior. Oh. And so there was, you know, to some degree, like, I mean, uh, honest to goodness, she was, she was working on a counter offer, like from the hospital bed, <laughs> like, like, wow. uh, in labor. Um, but then, and, and she had some closings and, um, you know, some, some kind of the, the fruits of those labors falling into the first couple of weeks after our daughter was born. But then we also saw then after that, we, you know, the, whatever that margin was expired. And so we started seeing a season where there was really, you know, no income coming in from her work anymore. Mm. It had all come in, but also she wasn't out there, you know, planting new seeds that were to be harvested in the future, you know? So I, I think there is easily um, maybe a six to maybe even eight month season where it was abnormal. Okay. You know, it like not at zero the whole time, but like, I mean, it was a broad spectrum of, of trailing down at zero and then slowly working back up almost as though she was kind of restarting her career to some degree. Yeah. You know? And in reality, there's a lot of things that we know and think differently about now that we've had a child that will look differently on the next one. Um, and, and that's helpful. But from this uh, specific situation, this specific question, um, we've experienced it in, in that kind of light. Um, so, you know, I was at, I was that person that was like, gosh, I'd love to go out on my own. But like, you know, my wife's not really working at full strength right now. And so this would be like, quote unquote, the worst time to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I can appreciate the the concern and the worry that comes with that because there's, there's certainly an element of it that, um, feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Do you, um, do you know other freelancers who have, uh, stay at home spouses? Um, you know, I, I feel like, so yes and no. I think it's a gray area because I know a lot of freelancers that have spouses that don't have traditional employment. Yeah. But I think very few of them are totally removed from any work at all. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the spouses I know that that aren't, you know, traditionally employed find themselves working in some capacity in the, in the business. Right. You know? And, and so there's, there's an element of that. I think the other thought that comes to mind when I, I think about this question is like, what's the role of the spouse that's not working? Like, I, you know, maybe they're home caring for children. And, and when I say not working, I mean, traditionally employed, like that's plenty of work, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so maybe they take kind of the, the home economist role, right. You know, um, on, on either end. And, and so their role in the whole equation is more geared towards keeping costs down and overhead low than it is about bringing in income. Uh, we've talked before in, in your world about, you know, the big, the big firm job. Yeah. 
Yeah. There is. Uh, required more of your life, but required you to spend so much more money trying to maintain your life outside of work. Absolutely. And, and this is almost like the opposite of that. It's like saying, Hey, I'm starting this business. So can we get like an all hands on deck kind of situation where we're all working to keep things as minimal as possible yeah. so that I have the freedom to do this business. And to some degree that can be as much of an asset as someone who's traditionally employed is just depending on the lens you look through it and admittedly putting, um, putting some degree of like health insurance and benefits on to the side. Um, that's the big variable that kind of floats out there. But if you take that off the table, you know, I think there's, there's some certain value that, that maybe, um, we're not giving enough credit to of the person that's working behind the scenes to support the new business and, to, yeah. and to manage the rest of the life that allows the business to, to be successful. And those, um, those boundaries blur so much more. I think once you're running your own business, I think the family starts to view, you know, view so much, take so much more ownership in a person's uh, career. Um, and it reminds me, Rob, of do you remember when Sam went, um, he left? So we were raised in a home where our father uh, went out on his own <laughs> and left a construction company to go for a different one. And, um, and he started a company in the house and I was a real young kid, but like I used to get paid to bring the mail in from the street, mm-hmm. um, you know, and <laughs> I had to have been in third, second or third grade probably. Um, but that's great. That's super useful and fantastic. And, and later on in high school, I think both of us cleaned the offices when they had them and, and you worked a lot more, but I think, um, you know, your kids get more involved and, and your spouse can, you know, has a place to, especially for a lot of people who have spouses who have like tons to offer and lots of education and they're, they're using it to keep costs down and do all these, uh, amazing business-like things for the home. It, it can go really well. I've certainly seen a lot of my colleagues, uh, who are, um, mostly guys do it, um, who have, uh, probably transitioned from the situation we talked about where they are at big firms, um, and, um, it didn't make economic sense for their, uh, wife to work. And then they went out on their own and all of a sudden the wife's like super involved in creating the firm. Um, but we need to bring some of those on to talk about their experiences because I only have, you know, my outsider view into them. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would echo that too. I mean, there's certain piece of it that um I mean, quite honestly and and not knowing the person that wrote in this question, so this is completely like uh you know, objective, but um part of me thinks that there's a a very valid concern about this and it's yeah. it's something that's unique and needs to be dealt with and there's another part of me that could also having met with dozens and dozens of freelancers over the years about going you know, making the jump that also could be one of those things that we use. And I'm, I'm was guilty of this for some time that we use as like a reason not to take, take that leap, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe that's cause it's valid or maybe that's because it just, it feels safer if we've got some thoughtful reasons as to why we're not taking the risk that we ultimately really want to take. Um, and so, you know, not knowing the person, I'm not, not casting doubt on the, the, uh, authenticity of the question, but, you know, I think we can play mind games with ourselves and come up with these, uh, false barriers that are keeping us from, 
from doing the thing we really want to do. And so, um, I think, you know, yeah, I completely agree. And I think if that's a, if that's a thing that you're saying, well, I can't do that because then find somebody who did it anyways and, and go ask them about it because, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> but yeah. at you, least do you the due diligence. Feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, somebody who has that experience, whether it's that, whether it's having quadruplets or whatever specific thing that is, um, holding you back. I think that makes a lot of sense to don't just assume that the, that's a no go, at least find somebody who's done it if you can. Yeah. I think that could create a situation too, where it makes the season of life between like, if you're going to start your side gig going on a little bit in the nights and weekends yeah, until you can make that step in a, in a more secure and, and strategic fashion, like you've got some capacity there in your personal life yeah. that, that folks with a working spouse may, you know, they may not have. And so anyways, it's just one of those things you can kind of look at it through two lenses and, and know which one's more appropriate for you. But yeah. Um, well, and yeah. this is all uh, we're assuming in this, that uh, your spouse is emotionally, mentally on board with, you going out on your own. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different thing <laughs> in anybody's life if they would like to leave their traditional employer and for any reason their um significant other doesn't uh support that. That's a that's a very different consideration, I think, because I think it's really important to have, you know, to make a decision as a unit on that. That's a great point because we we touched on that and through a different way in the money episode. Yeah. But we talked about this notion of saying like, Oh, my wife and I had a deal that like, you know, for this many months, things wouldn't be as super great. You know, we were taking a step back for this many months with a plan of, of then taking a step forward after that. And, you know, you start looking at conversations like that. And if you've got a spouse that's not super on board, then those sorts of situations start looking a lot different, you know? Um, and that not only from a financial perspective, from the emotional support, oh, and yeah. the encouraging and all the other things like you, like, as you kind of scale yourself back from the outside world a little bit and going out on your own, like you need whoever's in your corner rooting for you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's essential. And I mean, frankly, if, if you're, if I'm in a situation where my significant other is like, Oh, don't do that. Like maybe they have a point, you know, maybe they know something about, uh, your personality or, you know, maybe they have an actual, uh, consideration or concern that needs to be fleshed out and addressed, um, that you'll benefit and be stronger for, um, considering because they know yeah. you very well, probably mm-hmm. in most cases. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a super valid point. Um, good question. Thank you for the listener for sending that in. We really appreciate it. And Sarah, I'll throw you one more just, um, while we're, we're doing the Q and a episode. Yeah. We've, we've had one of the, I think strongest themes of feedback that we've received, uh, about the show is that it has relevance even outside of freelance, that it has some relevance to folks that are still traditionally employed that maybe aren't very far along at all. And, thinking about going out on their own um, and and folks that just like our perspective from a business standpoint mm-hmm. when it really applies to a whole team of people, not just one single individual. Um, you know, when you think about the experience you've had the last couple of years of going out on your own, how does that make you kind of reflect back on 
to that season of life that you've left and, and kind of what are, do you see some themes that kind of bridge over from one to the other that, that would be helpful to talk about? Oh yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, and I said this in a, like, I don't know. I've probably said said this before, but anytime you work with any other people, <laughs> you have to give up some level of control. Um, and for me, I I really love working with people, and I also really love control. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm in a real situation that I would have found myself in in, in either, um, no matter if I'm traditionally employed or otherwise, um, and just. Basically, I guess my takeaway is, you know, you mentioned before that, um, that a lot of the work at at your, at some of your prior jobs or a lot of people jobs uh, happens between the desk and the door, just in the office politics. But, um, you know, I find that, uh, that's that emotional intelligence and interaction, um, is still extremely relevant when you're out on your own. Um, it just is a little bit more removed. So all of the same things still matter, right? Like you're going to be more successful. Um, if you have a good mentor, um, when you're out on your own, just like you, you are, if you have, you know, if you're in a regular, a traditional employer's situation, you're more successful if you have a boss who cares about you. Having people who care about your professional development is an enormous indicator of success and it might be essential in my, um, industry, especially. Um, and that, that remains the case. It's just now I have to go out and find them (laughs) and make sure that they keep up with me. And, um, it's not in their job title to review my work or teach me or mentor me. So it's a little, it's a little trickier, but also I'm not, you know, weirdly paired up with some random person who's assigned as my mentor and we don't have anything in common either. I have much more organic relationships with people. So that that's a really um, specific example, but um, it's something that's been on my mind recently is that boss dynamic that you don't have when you go out on your own and how you can get the benefit that, you know, that that has to offer outside of the traditional employer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I like that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, when I think about that question, I, mine's kind of probably not in a far too distant vein. But um, when I think back at myself, back at myself working a traditional job, I think there were a lot of things that I experienced resistance with, as far as. Um, things that needed to be done, but like, it wasn't clearly, it wasn't clear whose responsibility it was to do them. And, and one of the the biggest things that has just naturally organically changed about me doing what I'm doing, is it like, there's no one else to confuse that with now? That, yeah. There's like, no diffusion there's of responsibility because it's all you. Yeah. It's just me. And, and I, I think back at going back into that environment and I think about like one, like when you're, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. And when you're traditionally employed and you work with other traditionally employed people, you also come to like the same norms and society, like business society values. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you're, um, someone that, that 
uh, if you're an attorney working in a firm that has a marketing person, then the, there's some pieces of marketing you're not going to be as aggressive doing because there's that marketing person. You don't want to upset them or step on their toes or like that's kind of their job. So you're just not even going to consider doing it at all. And there's all those kind of nuanced things that like, I feel like I would be way more emboldened to just move into headstrong now than, than I was back then, you know, absolutely. Um, that it would just be like, you know, cool. If I want something done, I'm just going to go do it, you know? Yeah. And, and that was always such a hesitation before. And oftentimes if I'm being quite honest, the source of frustration because it's like, gosh, this really needs to be done. And the person whose responsibility is, isn't doing it. Mm -hmm. And so then it became like a, is it my job to like coach them on how to do their job <laughs> or shouldn't they just know this? Like, this is their thing. Yeah. And like, you can look at it through 15 different angles that just make you angry each one, you know? Um, and so none of that produces more outcome, <laughs> you know, it doesn't produce more results for the company. Yeah. It just creates turmoil within the team. And, and so, uh, to me reflecting back on that time. Yeah. I, I've often wondered, gosh, if I, like, if I went back into that environment, would I like just piss a bunch of people off really fast? Oh, I know. <laughs> because I would just be like so reckless about how I'm like getting into everyone's business and doing everyone else's job in a way oh, that yeah. frustrates everyone. I, I totally agree. I think the exact same thing. Like I, I didn't used to even, I didn't used to know the full spectrum of the the thing we were providing. I didn't like appreciate how the client came in and, and how they got invoiced and how they paid at all. And now I would need to know like every bit of that. And then I would have feedback <laughs> about it. Right. And, and recognizing like, you know, if you're one of a dozen partners at a firm, like everyone else has feedback too. And like, yeah, then all of a sudden you're, you're entering into this world of like whose voices carry more weight and all that kind of stuff, which further complicates it. But yeah, it's um, easy to see how, how traditional employers get how they are for sure. Cause you just add one more person to the mix and things are a million times more complex. Yeah. It's just one of those things you can't really get away from. Yeah. And I, you know, knowing that a lot of our listeners are not in yet in the full-time or part-time freelancer world, the notion of being able to have a voice back into that from the outside, you know, smuggling, smuggling notes through the, through the <laughs> bars of the gel cell or whatever we're doing, yeah. um, is, is kind of interesting just something yeah. that we hadn't really thought of. So I thought it was a fun question to propose. Yeah. Maybe that's, um, a way that everybody could be better at their jobs, uh, is if you said, okay, let's assume just pretend tomorrow that you have to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. Do you know how that will look? What do you, do you even know what that consists of? Because You'll be better at whatever your portion of that is if you understand the whole picture. Um, so I don't know. I think, and of course, there's no better way to get to understand it than to be a freelancer, but just at least do the thought exercise because I think it's really beneficial. Yeah, agreed. Great question. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, well, that wraps up um, our first Q&A episode. Again, if you want to submit a question for us for future episodes, uh, unfederated.studio is the best way to do that, or you can hit either up either of us up yes. on Twitter and we'll um, collect those and any that we feel like we can speak to and, and add value to, we will include it in a future show. Yes. Thank you. And, um, you know, subscribe to our podcast and rate it, please. 
yeah, reviews are awesome. And if you've got someone that you feel like can benefit from a show like this, uh, it would mean a lot if you would share it. And share your experiences, uh, those of you who are freelancing with uh, significant others who are not working outside the home. We would love to learn more about that. Yeah, we could definitely report back on that on a future episode. So if you've got strong thoughts on that, that would be great. All right. Have a great week, Rob. Talk to you soon. All right. You too. See ya.